five days before the winter storm hit, the ERCOT CEO assured ERCOT, and I quote, we're ready for the cold temperatures coming our way. CPS Energy is gonna to continue to analyze its performance, how we did. To the companies, to Texas leaders, what message would you tell them? That they don't care. They don't care what you go through, you know, and I'm very disappointed with CPS. Welcome to Breakdown. It's been almost one year since the deadly winter storm hit Texas. Who could forget what that was like? Hundreds of thousands of people in Bear County literally left in the dark and hundreds died across Texas. Now, since that weather event, both CPS Energy and ERCOT have made changes to address what happened. But the question remains, will those changes be enough to prevent another major blackout? That's exactly what we're going to discuss today. We've dealt with freezes since last year. Mm -hmm. Last week, Governor Greg Abbott talked about the state power grid. He said we didn't have to worry about cold weather causing widespread power outages. The governor credited the many changes that ERCOT has implemented. Listen. As compared to last year, Texas has about 15% more power generation capacity. There is also more reserve power available than last year. Unlike last year, winterization has been required for power generators, and there's been about 99% of those power generators uh, passed inspection. Last year, some generators were not available because of maintenance operations during the course of the winter storm. This year, more generators are online because they were required to do maintenance either before or after a winter season. Now let's get specific now. Here are the changes that CPS Energy has made since last year. The biggest one is the 3.85% increase, the rate increase that was approved just last month. We told you all about that. CPS Energy says that that money is going to help maintain infrastructure, and the increase goes into effect next month. Also, company officials say that they've spent around $2 million to winterize their natural gas plants. They've also invested in temporary enclosures and they're using more insulation, heaters and radiant heating on pipes at the plants. And continuing with those CPS energy changes, he's a man who takes over the city's power company, a company that's seen its share of controversy and plunging approval ratings. Interim president and CEO Rudy Garza. We discussed in depth the changes made by both CPS energy and saws and how he plans to win the citizens' trust back. Now, Garza also spoke with us about the lawsuits between CPS and ERCOT and the utilities' natural gas suppliers. He also reflected on the changes that the energy company has faced during last year's winter storm. Wow. As you know, there's been a lot of discussion about what happened a year ago with the power failures, the loss of water, how it affected so many San Antonians. What has CPS Energy learned from that experience? We learned a lot. I mean, we've had so many community, you know, committees, quite frankly, the, the city's Committee on Emergency Preparedness, Municipal Utilities Committee, our own board and customers who've all provided feedback of some type. And what we know is there are things that, you know, that we don't control that, you know, had implications for, you know, the February storm. Um, that the state has has dove, dove into, and we've been parts of those conversations. And then we've gotten a lot of feedback from the community. What we what we what we know is that you know we needed to do more 
um, you know, uh, weatherization of our power generation, you know, infrastructure. We needed to do more. We needed to look at our load shed uh, program differently. You know, we never contemplated uh, an event of that scale. So, you know, we've gone back in uh, and really, you know, reprogrammed that to make sure we can, you know, we, we can uh, meet that type of, of, of catastrophic event. And, uh, and communication, you know, we know that while we worked hard to try to put the information out last, you know, storm that we could, uh, we know that customers want information differently. And more than anything, I think today you will see, you know, the city, saw CPS Energy, the county, you know, all emergency responders really coming together to, you know, speak with one voice to make sure that the, that the information getting out to the community is consistent and, and usable. You don't know what the future holds just as far as uh, weather events. We can all talk about things that are out of our control, but as far as the things that are in your control, um, is there a firm protocol that CPS Energy has established now in the event that we do get another? Yes, there's a, a absolutely a firm protocol. We are standing up what we call our incident response team almost immediately when the threat of weather, you know, is, is imminent. And, you know, forecasts change and, and we recognize that, you know, we have to be flexible. But, uh, but internally, I will tell you that, that the sense of urgency in making sure that we're paying attention to the things that will help us do the best job we can do for our community are, are, is, what, is what's really important. So even outside of the work we do coming together, you know, with the city to, to, to start planning for a potential event, we're, we're making the call to stand up you know, those teams that will help us be, you know, the best we can be earlier. So what does that mean? So uh, I assume you guys also watch the news and you have forecasts sure. and you know what's going to happen right. uh, weather-wise. So is, as soon as you have that forecast, do you activate something? Well, it depends on what the forecast tells us. In this case, the forecast was telling us it's going to get really cold, so we knew it was going to be in the 20s. What we were less certain about was the precipitation that was going to come with it. And so once we recognized that that pre precipitation was dipping down a little further south, it changes our need to respond. The, the cold isn't so bad. You know, the cold, we, can, we feel like we're, we're in a pretty good position to manage. I think there's no doubt that, that ERCOT obviously deserved the, the scrutiny and the criticism that they got a year ago. CPS Energy has also received scrutiny and criticism from what happened a year ago. Is that deserved? Uh, yeah, I think some of it is, absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, look, our employees, the, you know, we're here to serve our customers. And so I think that it's a, from my standpoint, it's an issue of intent. You know, did, did we intentionally, you know, fail our community? Of course not. You know, uh, there's nobody that takes it harder when our customers have a bad experience than me and my leadership team and my managers who all came up through the organization, have been, been here for 20, 30 years that, that, you know, have been committed to serving this community. We're public servants at the end of the day, you know, just like other governmental entities around town. Uh, and so, um, so, so we always, whether we get criticism or not, you know, from, from, from the community, we will always look at our response and determine what we can do better. And we'll do that after every single event. It didn't seem, though, that that, that was communicated. Am I correct in that? Like, it didn't seem like in the, in the moment when people were without power and uh, been without water, that there, was a, that there was a communication from CPS Energy to the customers. Well, what the customers wanted to know is, is when is it going to be over? 
And that's the one thing we couldn't tell them. Again, I think we've got different insight these days into what's going on you know, across the rest of the state. Even going into an event, I knew that we had 83,000 megawatts of power available, and we knew that the peak was probably going to be somewhere around 71 you know, thousand me you know, megawatts. It was actually closer to 69. So even the, the, the response from the rest, other generators across the state, we have more insight into that now. We didn't have that last February. I think you know, our, our collective uh, you know, cooperation, I think, really has showed out these last couple of events where you know, we've made a lot of really positive changes. Well, I've noticed the changes in, in just as a customer in the emails that have gone out. Like, we're expecting this to happen. X, you know, X could happen, would, would lead to Y, which would lead to Z. I mean, that is, seems to be one of the major changes just in communications that you guys have made. Am I wrong in that? No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. We have made a huge change in our in overall approach to communication. And here's what, what we've done. Since February, we've been on a campaign to get our customers to actually go into our system and update their information. Now, you'll get a box on your Manage My Account system that says, which, emerg which number do you want to designate as your emergency contact? And that's the number that we're going to utilize you know, to, to let customers know that there's something going on that they need to be paying attention to. Okay, so you mentioned communication as far as emails and texts. What about all your customers who don't have email, your older customers right. who don't have access to those? So things? we're utilizing the, the, really we're utilizing the city and county's ability to get to, you know, those, those most vulnerable. We actually have, well, those most vulnerable meaning, you know, th there are services provided by the community that have, you know, folks that they will reach out to the community that they serve. So we partner with close to 200 agencies across the city you know to try to to try to broadcast our message broadly but i will tell you um, where we do have some work to do has to do with uh, those customers that are on critical care equipment we've only got about three thousand customers who actually have told us they've got a you know uh, an oxygen machine or a dialysis machine or some life-sustaining equipment in their homes though those that that we we customers have to tell us that they've got that, that type of situation, and we'll actually do, do specific outreach. We've actually got that capability, but customers have to tell us that, uh, you know, that, that they have equipment of some kind that we need to be paying attention so to. So can you guarantee to those 3,000, you, you mentioned 3,000 customers who yeah. have let you know that they are on dialysis or some sort of well, the, essential equipment yeah. that CPS will be there for them in the Absolutely. event of power Absolutely. Our protocol is if we, if we suspect those customers are going to be out an extended period of time, for us that's over four hours. We will call them in the middle of the event asking them if there's something we can do to get them to a safe place. Where are we with the lawsuits? I know that you, you, uh, CPS Energy sued some of the energy providers because for the perceived price gouging, uh, obviously, you know, it seems like price gouging to the average San Antonian. Where are we? I know some settlements have been made. Are you anticipating that, that there will be a settlement? Well, we, we're settling some of those cases on a daily basis, Steve. You know, we, we've got, uh, we filed 18 lawsuits, give or take, uh, with suppliers all over the state of Texas. You know, we're still in litigation with ERCOT because we believe ERCOT made some fundamental mistakes that, you know, kind of artificially held the price in the market up, you know, longer than, than it should have. Uh, and nobody else is, is, is making that fight for the, for the customers. We're making that fight for our customers, but the implications of our lawsuits will affect customers across the entire, you know, state of Texas. I mean, our lawsuits will dictate policy if we're successful uh, in the future. 
there are there are probably two or three lawsuits that will will likely need to be litigated to the to the fullest extent. Those are the the lawsuits with the highest kind of at risk dollars that you know for for our counterparties. You know we're going to spend a significant amount of money litigating these cases, but we've also gotten significant value either in the settlements that we've reached for reasonable amounts of dollars or for services that we're going to have to buy anyway in the future, we'll be able to, to come up to what we call a commercial agreement and, and get something in return for that, for that value of, of what the lawsuit was for. So we've already, our customers have already come out ahead at the end of the day. Now you mentioned that some of these lawsuits are still, are still pending. So what if something happens and CPS winds up in a deficit? Will that be passed on to customers? Well, we've had that conversation right after the rate case, and, and uh, I know there, there's been some confusion about that. We're not going to dismiss any of the lawsuits. The lawsuits are either going to be settled or they're, they're going to be litigated, and the courts will ultimately, ultimately decide. When we set up that regulatory asset, we set it up for up to a billion dollars, although we anticipate that number will be you know, something less than that, obviously. Um, for, for each year, you know, we'll add up the additional settlements that you know, we've made and uh, we'll go to city council when we issue long-term debt to cover that expense. So, so again, we, the, what city council has approved is the $418 million of what we have settled and or, you know, come to commercial terms with our counterparties. You have interim in front of your name right now. Do you want the permanent gig? Uh, Steve, that, that is the that is the million dollar question. What I want is for our board to run, you know, a, a process. You know, they've they've asked that question. Um, I think they're you know putting their uh, you know their ideas together on on what the community wants in a, in a new CEO. Uh, certainly, it's a conversation that I'm having with the board, you know, every day. But you know, I have told them I'm going to be focused on you know making sure that we stabilize the organization in the short term, and I'm going to let the pro the board you know run their process because it's a much different job than it was absolutely. two years ago. Absolutely. I mean, it, our bare facts poll has shown you went from 77 percent approval to. 44, I believe it was, in the last one. Um, rightly or wrongly, there's a perception out there that that has changed with CPS Energy. How do you get back? Well, here's, a, here's the funny thing. It's still the same people that are leading this organization. You know, the, the, it's still the same folks out in, out in the field that are serving our customers every day. We're the same company. You know, there are things that we can learn, to, you know, from February and even these last two events that will make us better in the future. But we're the same company. We're the same company committed to our customers. We're the same company committed to being, you know, the community-owned asset that, you know, provides, you know, a third of the city's budget. These are really, you know, what we do is really important for San Antonio. When people relive the events of last year, one of the things they say is, okay, yeah, it's one thing not having any power, but no water. So what has CPS done to work better with saws so that people don't lose their water next time? Well, that, that was probably one of the biggest gaps um, in, you know, in our response last February is and really on both of our parts, both you know, CPS Energy and saws, identifying each other's critical infrastructure you know, within our own systems to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're providing service to, you know, to, to critical infrastructure for the community. Is Why wasn't that done before? <clears throat> you know, I, I think because I, I, my, my perception is nobody expected to ever have an event like that. I mean, you know, and, and if Robert would be sitting here, he'd tell you they're used to CPS Energy being, you know, so reliable that they've never had to worry about that before. 
uh, but there are some very, very critical large pump stations that keep the entire water system going, and we've got all those identified on our system now. Those are on critical circuits, and unless something catastrophic happens, we lose the grid overall or something, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to protect those. We were actually working with SAWS on a resiliency project where they're going to be invest, making some investments uh, in, uh, in backup generation at those uh, pump stations that they just can't lose. I'm going to give you the last word here. We're going to wrap this up. Anything you want to make sure people that are watching this know about Rudy Garza or CPS Energy? Well, uh, for me, it's, you know, I, I've been using this concept of one team, both internally and externally. You know, every, every one of our, I think I saw last night, we have 2,904 employees today, which is almost 500 employees short of where we need to be, um, you know, 400 uh, employees short of where we need to be. We're all necessary to do the job that we need to do for the community. But guess what? The community is part of that team, too. Whether we're successful or not successful, you know, our city council plays a role in that. You know, their ability to partner with us in, in the right ways, them being supportive in our dialogue in the community. You know, me and, and Eric Walsh, our city manager, we meet, you know, every other week, and we've developed a really, really good relationship. He's part of the team. Ben Gorzell's part of the team. Our board is part of what, what it takes to be um, successful. Our customers at the end of the day, our customers, we've got 1.2 million customers that can tell us when that tree in their backyard needs to be trimmed or, you know, when there's a problem out in our system. So, you know, in San Antonio, I want our customers to recognize we're all part of the same team. That's one team that it's going to take to ensure that CPS Energy is the best uh, that, that we can be. All right, and that was interim CEO of CPS Energy, Rudy Garza. It's a lot to unpack there. We're going to get yeah. to that in a few minutes. But we also spoke with District 7 Councilwoman Ana Sandoval. Her district was actually one of the hardest hit during last year's storm. Yeah, and she made her frustrations during that storm with CPS Energy and the city very clear. During this conversation, Sandoval described what she and her constituents went through during that time and what happens now. Well, Councilwoman, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Right off the top, obviously we're looking back a year. When you think of how the power outages affected your district, people in your district, yourself, what comes It was a really difficult few days. I think it was, um, it was terrible for so many people to, to go through that. And we... We still hear people talking about it uh, today. It's it's a year later, but I mean, what I recall is people not knowing what to do when their power would come on for one minute and then go off, and there was absolutely nothing they could do with that power. It was entirely useless to them, and no one could explain to them why that was happening. Even even I couldn't. As much as I called uh, the people I knew at CPS. They, as far as they knew on their end, they were doing the 15-minute rolling outages, and it just it didn't end up translating on the ground to that. So I, I would say that was, that was one of the horrible things people remember, and of course, being cold. When you look back, do you, are you comfortable that CPS has made the changes they needed to make, that that won't happen again? Well, not all the changes have been made yet. Some of them are dependent on the rate increase that just uh, passed and that will go into effect in March. Um, so I, I think they are on the right track. Um, but I will tell you, some of it depends on CPS, but a lot of it will also depend on the coordination with the city and what we're doing. Uh, we are also on the right track. We just uh, heard an update on that. Um, 
But there's a big unknown out there, and that is, what is the state going to do? As far as we know, the state hasn't made any substantive changes to the way it operates the grid, and that leaves all of us vulnerable. As much as CPS or the city will do, until the state takes it seriously, we're all at risk. So, okay, let's talk a little bit more about that, us being more at risk. I mean, what can you tell your constituents about that? Because that does seem, that is the big question. After last year's disaster, you have a lot of people, you know, who have PTSD, they're worried that just last week when those temperatures dipped, you had people who were really worried that we were going to have another situation like that. What can you tell them? I mean, do you think this will never happen again? Or So I think it could happen again, but that the response, until the state acts, I think it can't happen again. But I believe that the response that you'll see on the ground will be much more coordinated so that while people will be inconvenienced, they will, hopefully, if everything goes well, receive the help they need at the time that they need it. In other words, not going without water, not, um, not having access to heat or a heated place, not having access to transportation to get to a warming center. I believe those things we are well on our way to overcoming with what the city and CPS are coordinating. When it comes to communication, can both CPS Energy and the city do a better job if it happens again? They have to do a better job when this happens again. Storms are becoming more extreme. We will see something like this or just as shocking as this to, to our system. The question is how quickly will we be able to recover and communication is a critical part of that. Without that, you can't hobble together the, the reaction, the, the response and the help that you need. So I, I think you also have changing administrations, right, in CPS and, and the city. And that's why you need to memorialize or put something in procedure so that everyone plays from the same playbook. Um, but in terms of communication, they have worked, the staff has presented to us on improved communication strategies. And also, what can you do when your cell phone isn't working and you are you know, the head of CPS or the head of the city trying to get a hold of of one another. Um, both organizations have committed to work out of our emergency operations center in the event that something like that happens. So these are, they seem like simple things, but I think they will make a, just a tremendous difference in the event of an emergency. Could you give more specific examples as far as those communication strategies that you're saying that now the city has agreed upon? I mean, does that mean that there's a more of a firm protocol in place so that when we know these, if we're going to get a freeze again or something like that, the city knows exactly what to do? Yes. So for example, who is on the list of receiving a communication when uh, something like this happens? That list is being drawn up and pulled together. So CPS will identify who needs to be on their team, SAWS will identify, and the city is identifying whether you know it's council members or maybe some of their staff. Do you agree, though, that the city also should get some of the blame for the lack of communications? So um, I've been trained in the world of public health where we, it's not about blame, it's about how do we solve yes. um, uh, the problem. Uh, do I think the city has a role to play in making sure uh, we don't have the same consequences next time? Absolutely, I think we have the tools at our disposal and that we also have a responsibility to our residents. Yeah. And what are you doing as an elected official, just because we've almost, it's almost been a year since this happened, are you asking CPS the tough questions to make sure that they're on track to deliver for their customers? Sure. So I sit on the Municipal Utilities Committee, so we get an update from CPS, from SAWS, and the city on um, 
on their status in implementing the recommendations that came out of, of the group that I was a part of, which was the Committee on Emergency Preparedness that I, had, I asked the mayor to pull together after the storm. I felt it was important to not just have CPS and SAWS do their own thing, but um, the council members, because we were you know, involved as well, we bear some responsibility, uh, and members of the community. So we had um, retired General uh, Rice was, was on there, um, we had an attorney, Lisa Tatum, uh, so making sure that those um, that those recommendations are seen to completion, that's part of my job. One of the big reasons that this happened last year is because these uh, utility companies didn't winterize their equipment. Is that something that you believe CPS has done so, or taken care of by now? Um, they have a strategy to take care of it. Again, but they haven't done it yet? They have not. My understanding is that the money from the rate increase that will go into effect in March will also be used to complete that work. So what if we have a freeze in a month? We will be much better than we were uh, last year. I think there were some uh, basic things that were completed, uh, but it's, it's not entirely complete, is my understanding. As far as the winterizing, though, that hasn't been, I mean, do you know, is that 15% done? Is that 30% done? Anything like that? I couldn't give you uh, a number on that. Was the rate hike vote a tough one for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it was extremely tough because the community doesn't trust CPS right now to that full uh, extent that they need. So they came to us initially, or the proposal initially was a much higher rate increase, and um, and they really had to to scale that back. You know, how, I couldn't have approved a 10% rate increase. I would have voted no on something like that. Just the, the trauma that this community went through a year ago seemed to put CPS on the radar like they had never been before. What do you say to people who are out there who are still worried that this could happen again and will happen again? Look, in terms of the weather, something will happen again. The question is how well prepared can we be and your local government is doing everything they can to help you when that happens again. And we are holding CPS accountable like we haven't before to be prepared for something like that. I will tell you, the role of council interacting with CPS is night and day since the storm has happened. Before, our representative to the CPS board was, is it's, and it continues to be our mayor, um, and we have someone in finance that works with them. Um, well, it's a team, actually. <laughs> but now you have, you have the Committee on Emergency Preparedness. You have a Municipal Utilities Committee that is uh, run by Councilman Courage. Um, you have the Rate Advisory Committee that, has been, that was put together by, by the mayor, but now is really going to take off. I've been appointed to be the council's liaison to that committee. So I want to make sure that that process is as transparent and as productive as possible. That's, I see that as being um, my role as, as the liaison. Do you think that we'll be more prepared next year? Yes, I do believe we will be more How prepared specifically? next year. How specifically? I think if it had happened this year, we would have been uh, more, more prepared already. Um, you would have seen an effort to communicate uh, to, in a coordinated fashion much sooner. I think uh, what happened last time, and many things happened last time, but one of, 
One of the issues that happened last time is that there was no sense of how long that was going to go when it started and whether it was going to go beyond a simple outage by CPS. So it's very easy for you know the council or even SAUS to sit back and say, hey, it's just an outage, CPS has it under control. Uh, but as that prolonged and cascaded into other effects, um, everyone came late, right, to, to, to act on those. So I don't think you would see that uh, again. I think people would be um, at the ready. So that's the interview. We're about to go in depth with our power panel that I'll introduce in a second here. We also want to thank all of you who have been interactive with the hashtag Steph and Steve. I want to thank David and Olivia and Grizzly who have reached out with questions that we're going to try to get to tonight. But right now, let's first get to the power panel, a distinguished group here who have joined us. Joining us on Zoom is Ed Hurst. He's a professor of vitality economics at the University of Houston. And we're also joined by DeMonte Alexander, a public affairs consultant. Those two gentlemen are joining us on Zoom. Also joining us this evening in the studio is KSAT Defenders investigative reporter Dylan Collier. He's done numerous investigative reports into CPS Energy after last year's storm. But now we want to start with Emmy award-winning yes. investigative <laughs> reporter. I want to, I want to point that forget out. that. Yeah. Now we want to go to Professor um, Ed. Let's start with you. When you were watching that interview with Rudy Garza, is there anything you heard that, that stood out to you? Yeah, you know, Rudy's the new interim CEO, so he really doesn't have to apologize for past mistakes. Um, you know, CPS Energy was, was, was not prepared, as were most of the utilities across the state. Uh, the, the 2011 freeze that we had, there were very specific mandates uh, suggested, if you will, by, by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission for weatherizing utilities, and CPS obviously didn't pick up on those. Um, it's fascinating. You, you could go west on I-10 to El Paso Electric, and they were just fine. They were weatherized. Um, the grids that are around Texas that are subject to, to federal regulation, sure, they were hit by the same weather, but they responded pretty well. Um, but it, it, it's fascinating because listening to, to, to Garza and the councilwoman, they have identified the real problem. And that's if the price goes up at the meter, politicians are not reelected. And, you know, she rejected out of hand a 10% rate increase. You know, for more than a decade, people have been poor boying this whole approach. Penny wise, pound foolish. You have to pay for reliability. You have to make up your minds that you're going to have a grid that's reliable, that's not going to kill people, that's not going to cut off your water, that's not going to endanger health care and, and services, uh, traffic lights, getting fuel out of the ground. And so un until San Antonio comes to grips with providing a basic commodity service and paying for it, you're going to have a real problem. You know, Professor, I want to talk to you about renewables coming up, but first I want to move to our next guest, DeMonte Alexander. You're in the public relations uh, sphere. You're a community builder. Do you think people will be satisfied with what Rudy Garza had to say? And I, and, and I want to couch that with this. Barefax did a poll that showed CPS Energy took a huge hit in the first quarter of last year. I believe we have the graphics here. Its approval rating was 77% in April of 2020. By the fourth quarter of last year, it was down to somewhere in the 44% range. What does CPS Energy need to do to win the public's trust again? And was what Rudy Garza said tonight a step in that direction? DeMonte. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Steve and Steph, uh, for the opportunity. Uh, look, I think um, what Rudy did in the interview was the first step is admitting where they had mistakes in that fall, right? That's the first step in the crisis. And, uh, and I don't think it's more, it's not much of what Rudy said tonight. I think it's what we felt with the current, um, when, we, when we just went out, just came out of a, a, a new storm, a different, uh, the next storm was the communication was better. The, the flow of communication and what they communicated to you and how they communicated, you can tell that there was a unified effort between all of our utilities and the city. So it was much better. What I, is, is the public, is that enough for the public? I don't know. You know, that's on the backs of a rate increase as well. Now, you'd have to be someone that's in the weeds in terms of why rate increases are required or needed versus someone who just doesn't understand, like, why we do rate increases. And so I can't, I can't speak to the public and say that's what he did enough. But from what I felt and from what I've seen, I think he, they're, step, they're taking a step in the right direction for sure. But I'm, I'm happy that he uh, did admit where they were at fault and there was some room that could that, that could uh, some room for them to improve. But look, I'm not an energy expert, but I am a parent. I'm with, I'm with someone that was at home with a two month old baby and no water, no electricity. I had to cool, I had to keep her bottles in the snow outside. Thank God it snowed. And then I had to warm up her bottle to feed her by candlelight. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about someone who was angry, I was angry. And just like that, the million of 1.3 million people or the, the, the people in the, the amount of people that were affected, we're all angry. Yes, we're angry. And uh, there's there's blame there's blame to be thrown around, not just with CPS Energy, with, with with a lot of different agencies as well. But I do agree with Anna Sandoval. We can't get in the blame game. We have to figure out how to uh, provide solutions to these problems so they don't happen again. And so from what I've seen, uh, I'm very happy to see that everyone's working in a collaborative way. But one thing that I and, and, and I will end it here. You know, in the military, they teach us to always train and be ready. And so I hear them saying we never could foresee this happening, but you always have to be testing yourself for the what if scenarios, uh, especially when you have people's lives and employment and all those different things at stake. And so that's that's some things I hope they improve on is just just some proactive training, which I'm hearing that Rudy and the guys are. And, and, and another thing is, you know, we're, we keep forgetting about the workers. You know, yeah, we lost power, but there was there are what 20 over 2500 employees that are still behind that cps energy brand some of those guys are out there on those poles at 19 degree weather trying to fix the lights and get those back on so i think uh, you know yes this is this is a it's a difficult moment for cps energy and those in this space but i think we also have to think about those those workers that are out there working to help help us get those lights back on and keep our water on those types of things. So that that's just my take on it. You're a company that's bigger than just Rudy Garza, what you're pointing right. out there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Demonte, you got to something uh, just a moment ago. You were talking about you know the since we asked you for your public relations input, you know what the community thinks about this, and now we want to go to Dylan Collier because it's one thing to sit in front of officials, ask them questions, right. grill them, and then another thing to speak with the public who was very much affected by this. What are you hearing from them? A year ago, CPS Energy was very much in the background. You would hear them come up every year during uh, the city budget because they contribute so much money to the city finances. But I think in this era of extreme weather shifts, 
people are demanding that this really be a forward-facing company, that uh, the leader of the organization be out there publicly during these uh, meetings about storm preps. Um, you know, I think gone are the days where the president and CEO of CPS Energy can literally phone it in for an important meeting before commissioner's court. They just, the public will not tolerate that any longer. Yeah, and that's a great, that's a big change. I mean, and a lot of people also forget, okay, they were doing Zoom press conferences, which, you know, are pretty impersonal to begin with, but then the then CEO and president of CPS Energy would often have her camera off during during that that those press conferences. I mean, it, it, communication was there, but it was lacking, in my opinion. It, it was the minimum amount of information that needed to be put out there publicly. And I mean, we've heard it over and over again tonight. That just cannot happen anymore. Uh, the, the leaders of this organization have to be out there publicly. Uh, they need to be able to have a two-way communication system where they're not only telling the public information, but the public is able to ask them about certain situations. Uh, just because, as Councilwoman Sandoval said, I mean, this could happen every year now, these extreme, you know, day after day of sub-freezing temperatures. Dylan, yeah, we have more questions for you. Oh, go ahead, DeMonte. Well, I think Anna Sandoval said something important, right? And it's about being transparent and productive. And in the midst of, of you know, we, we were dealing with the pandemic as well, you know, so we can't forget that. But on top of that, you know, yeah, we're all going through this tough time, but being more transparent about what's going on, what's happening as far as what you understand and how the public can, can, can keep themselves safe and also being productive about the problem and not waiting to, oh, there's a problem, let's fix it. And so I think those are the two words I think that really stood out to me in terms of what she talked about and, and also what um, interim CEO Rudy Garza talked about. Just being transparent and productive, that goes a long way with the public. I want to get to, I want to, get to uh, the professor that is with us from Houston. And uh, this is a question we actually got uh, with the hashtag Steph and Steve on Twitter. So Ed, I want to ask you this question. Why didn't the governor prohibit price gouging on natural gas as he did with other prices? The Texas legislature also had a chance to do so after the fact, but chose not to. Is this because they hold stock in the companies supplying the natural gas? I'm just kind of lobbing that one in there to you, Professor. Uh, that's, that's an absolutely wonderful question. Um, I don't have the answer. Uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton, of course, went after La Quinta for uh, uh, marking up a hotel room and extracted a, a very significant settlement for La Quinta. He doesn't appear to want to go after the natural gas providers. Uh, yeah, the equivalent there would be, say, taking gasoline from $3 a gallon to $900 a gallon and closing 40 of the pumps at the, the 100 pump station. Yeah, there are a lot of investigations underway. It's not just state investigations, but federal investigations. And uh, we won't know the outcome for you know, maybe a couple of years. I want to thank David on Twitter for that question. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that, David. Now, Dylan, we have a question for you. We also asked Rudy about the several lawsuits. I believe he mentioned 18 lawsuits right. that CPS Energy filed um, and going after uh, prov energy providers. Now, recently we know this happened just a few days ago. The Fourth Court of Appeals dismissed CPS, CPS Energy's uh, lawsuit against ERCOT and then CPS Energy appealed to the Texas Supreme Court. Right. What kinds of things are you going to be looking out in, for? In that suit looked at whether or not, especially the appeal, looked at whether or not 
Uh, this was an issue, this overcharging of energy companies during the storm was an issue that should have been taken up before the Public Utilities Commission and not even in a court of law. So that will be what the Texas Supreme Court uh, takes a look at with this petition that was filed by CPS Energy at the end of last month, as you said, just a few days ago. Um, in, there are a few things about this case that really stand out. Uh, the fact of the matter that it's already before the Texas Supreme Court less than a year after it was filed. I mean, we've seen cases, uh, police arbitration cases, wrongful death lawsuits against local universities over sovereign immunity. Sometimes it takes years to get those before the Texas Supreme Court. This one took about 10 months to get up to the Texas Supreme Court, which is a big deal for CPS Energy because they have spent a ton of money litigating the ERCOT lawsuit alone. And in November, we had a story, uh, the defenders released it, $7 million in attorney and consultant fees related yes. to the storm uh, litigation. About half of that was for the law firm representing them in the ERCOT lawsuit. So it's very important for CPS Energy uh, to try and get this thing before the Supreme Court, get a ruling from them, and then decide what they're going to do from there. Because this one, this lawsuit especially, is costing a lot of money. So yesterday on our KSAT Q&A, which airs at 630, uh, we had Russell Gold. He's an energy expert. He's a writer for Texas Monthly and editor there. He wrote an article about the freeze and where we stand. Basically, no matter how bad we think last year was, it could have been worse. He says instead of losing power for days, it could have been weeks. He thought we were just minutes away from the entire grid going down. He said ERCOT is better now than it was a year ago, but he also said, no, we're not ready. I have not talked to anybody who thinks we're ready should the same thing happen again. DeMonte, what does the public make of that? Well, I mean, when it comes to whether the whether we're ready for the grid, I think just general, general public, again, doesn't get in the weeds with that stuff. I think what people are worried about is you know pay, paying the bills right my the seems electricity bills seem to keep going up water bills keep seem to go, be going up and so i think what what needs to happen here is like see like when we talked about the 77 percent before cps energy was partnering with community organizations like uh, uh rudy talked about uh trying to find those communities that are, are disconnected from from just basic services and finding ways to connect with them cps energy used to do a lot of rebate programs programs, passing out light bulbs, and just being very, very involved in the community. So I think when it comes to understanding complexities of energy, I think we can't expect the general public, and not saying the public isn't smart, I'm just saying that that's a, that's a really complex issue, uh, even for myself to understand. But I think from the public standpoint and from a PR standpoint, just continue to, to engage this community in the ways they were before. Like Rudy said, there's, there's still the same team there. Just a couple, Just a year, a little over a year and a half ago, this community, CPS Energy was the highest poll in terms of favorability in this community. That's still, that, what he said, 20, they lost some other employees, but that's still, majority of those employees are still there working hard every day for this community. Again, I'm someone who is angry and upset about that, but I think we have to be fair and understand like the complexity of the whole situation. Mm -hmm. So continue to engage this community in the ways they've always done. Um, and also just find ways for cost savings for residents who, who desperately need it. And I think that that will let, uh, put them on a path to um, regaining that trust that has been lost. Now, Professor, we want to go to you and we'll let you have the final word here. You know, the main reason, obviously, that we're doing this show is because we need to know whether we are prepared for another weather disaster like this. And this is right in your wheelhouse. You've looked at this extensively. In fact, you wrote an op-ed for the Hill last year, and you questioned whether the Lone Star State would be the blackout state. Bottom line, 
are we ready? I know that renewables also factor into this. We're not, we're not ready. I mean, it, to be honest, it takes more than eight to 12 months to fix something that's been in decay for 10 years. And I, I pointed out that this market was you know, on the road to hell in 2013, that it, the, the structures were wrong. To the extent that CPS uh, has to rely upon ERCOT, this is, this is not a good backup plan. Uh, the Public Utility Commission has not really changed the rules of the market. Um, the generators aren't going to be earning a rate of return. There's no incentive for reinvestment and investment. In fact, there's an incentive for gaming the market. Uh, Dylan, you were talking about the uh, uh, lawsuit and, and the Supreme Court. Uh, State Senator Kelly Hancock on at least two occasions has said that they found conflicts of interest with the commissioners on the Public Utility Commission and the board members of ERCOT. Uh, I haven't seen any reporting on that, but that would tend to indicate there's there's more investigation required. It may rise to the level of criminal investigations, and that would take it right out of the hands of the uh, Texas Supreme Court. Uh, going forward, um, the issues with renewable, you know, the first thing the governor said, bless his heart, was, you know, wind and solar failed. It was 1.38 in the morning, Governor. The sun doesn't shine at 1.38 in the morning. Um, if there's a problem with wind and solar, Governor, it's because all of your appointees brought these generators onto the grid. They don't get on the grid without the approval of the personal appointees of the governor. And that goes back the last 20 years to Governor Bush. Uh, this problem, we have been four years, five years behind California, but we're following them in lockstep. We've destabilized this grid with a lack of investment. And now we're, we're pushing and pushing to go to more uh, variable resources. And, and that, of course, takes away from volatility. One of the public utility commissioners just a couple of weeks ago actually asked the question in an open meeting, are consumers going to have to be signing new contracts every two months because of the price volatility that this is going to bring to the, the overall ERCOT market? You know, this is nonsense. We need electricity to manage the grid. Um, I pointed out that, that 26 million people without power for weeks at a time. I mean, we couldn't fix Puerto Rico. How many Berlin airlifts would Texas need to, to keep 26 million people in water and food uh, until we could restart the grid. I mean, these are really big issues. And crunch, things that we're going to continue to talk about. We're going to have to leave it right there. We want to thank our power panel for joining us today. We loved having you on and having our, and you know, just that you guys shared your insights with us. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of The Breakdown with Steph and Steve. Absolutely. And uh, we want to thank all of you that took part in the interactive part of this and shared your questions with us, we hope. We got them all answered. Thanks for joining us.